Hello, and welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast. It's fantastic to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, today, we will be talking about the accelerator's view of the world of sports, media, and technology. We're joined today by Jordan Flegel, the CEO of New York City Techstars and the Techstars Sports Accelerator out of Indianapolis. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Yannick. Great to be here. Excellent. Well, I'm going to read off of this impressive list of accomplishments because I don't think I'm going to do it justice off the top of my head, but Jordan's Managing Director of Techstars New York City and Techstars Sports Accelerators, which he joined in 2019. Uh, prior to that, he was Managing Director of Founders First, which is uh, an angel fund and syndicate. He co-founded and is ex-CEO of CoachUp, a platform to connect athletes with coaches. And if you go to his LinkedIn profile, you'll see a pretty impressive photo of him with one Steph Curry. Uh, and among other ventures, he was co-CEO of Draft.com, a sp fantasy sports site which was sold for about $48 million to Paddy Power Betfair back in 2017. He also has a very long list of accomplishments, including having been a professional basketball player, for which I am immensely jealous. But uh, to get more from uh, the horse's mouth, as it were, Jordan, tell us a little bit about Techstars and what you do day to day. Awesome. Yeah, sure. Th thanks, Yanni. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, so Techstars is the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. You do that through running accelerators. And the idea is that early stage or pre-stage, pre-seed stage, uh, companies, you know, founders need a lot more than just capital. They also need network and advice and support. And, um, it can be as little, uh, you know, things that come up every day. Like you're trying to figure out which of five different vendors to use or you know, you need a template for a legal doc or something you're trying to do that might save you five grand up to strategic stuff, like what should we build and how do we go to market and how do we price? And so there's just a whole range of things I, I know from being two-time uh, venture back and CEO, early stage person that it, it's a total grind and it's often a lonely experience. And so we try to, uh, we, we invest in the companies. We try to help them by connecting them to hundreds of mentors creating a peer CEO group for them with the other companies that go through the accelerator. So a lot of the learning is CEO to CEO as they're kind of going through it together or from alumni companies that recently went through and just try to speed up, you know, that's why we call it an accelerator. We try to, we try to speed them up in every way. And that's usually through networking, getting them to great people sooner than they otherwise would meet them or at the right time when they need an answer to a specific thing and just kind of really being there for the founders. So, um, that, that's what the accelerators do. The, the sports one you know, is, is focused on that category, as you mentioned, so sports, media, entertainment, you know, fitness, there's a bunch of subcategories that go into it. Um, and then New York City one is category agnostic. So we, anything that's not, that we don't do in the sports one, we're, we're kind of, we'll look at for the New York City one. Um, but as, as a founder, I went through Techstars with CoachUp, my first company, Techstars Boston in 2012. So I know what it's like to be on the founder side going through an accelerator and Techstars in particular, and then I've, I've been a longtime mentor, uh, as you mentioned, with Founders First, an, an investor in a number of Techstars portfolio companies, and then had the great fortune in 2019 to launch the Techstars Sports Accelerator, and now also run the the New York City one on the other side of the uh, of the aisle. So, um, but it's really all about supporting founders, being close to them, really going deep with them. We spend three months together, you know, in the same office with each company, and so um, yeah, that that affords us kind of real window into what they're doing and the ability to really build personal relationships with them, which is sometimes hard to do in, in, in venture capital otherwise. So for those of our listeners who are uh, more on the rights holder side or more involved with brands, describe a little bit 
what an accelerator does and how you guys approach it because Techstars is clearly it's one of those names especially within the sports accelerator world where you know it's it's synonymous with um um having achieved a certain level of success in your early days right it's like oh we got accepted to Techstars we're going through through Techstars and that's been a huge um huge thing you also always hear about companies having come out of Techstars uh so just give a little bit of a synopsis around what uh, uh, what that represents um, in reality for a new company. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, Texas launched in two thousand seven. Um, you know, it's it's widely regarded as the leading accelerator in the world, along with Y Combinator, of course, it was great, great as well. Um, and there's some differences between between the two, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, the Kind of what Techstars believes that great companies can be started anywhere, not not just in Silicon Valley. And it was that founding ethos. The first programs were in Boulder, Colorado. And you know, today Techstars runs, um, you know, almost fifty programs around the world. And it kind of, if you think about a sort of maybe a liberal arts versus a, a large university, there's there's small classes, so uh, it's very hard to get into. And in each program, we have generally 12 companies that go through. So there'll be like 12 that go through Boulder and 12 that go through New York and LA and so on and so. Um, and then we have dedicated, so city programs like that, like my New York City one, category agnostic. And then there's dedicated vertical programs. Like we have a music one in LA and, you know, Sony, for instance, is an LP of that. And, you know, my sports one, it's Indianapolis because we've brought together all the leading sports properties in Indianapolis. Indianapolis is a huge sports town. So our LPs that put up the capital and provide a lot of strategic support and partnering with the companies. It's the Indiana, uh, you know, it's all in Indiana. So it's the Indiana Pacers, um, the NCAA, which is headquartered there, which, you know, governs all college sports, um, Indiana Sports Corp, which is sort of responsible for sports tourism there, the Indianapolis Colts, Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar and the state of Indiana itself. So um, anyway, so that's like focused on that category. And so we try to be extra value out there. And all of the mentors, for instance, in our sports program are, you know, related to the category, the founders of FanDuel and Whoop and Overtime and so on are our mentors. Um, the the idea is, you know, we, we invest capital upfront. So we put $120,000 into the companies upfront. And then we have a follow-on fund that we'll look at doing another 100 to 200K in the seed round and the Series A round and so on to, to follow. We don't lead the follow-on rounds because of like signal risk, but we'll participate. But like 90, 95% of the capital that we help our companies raise is, is coming from our network. It's coming from the angel investors, mentors, VCs that we work closely with uh, and that we're putting our companies in front of. But we also invest going in and then, you know, off in the subsequent rounds to follow alongside the other investors. Um, you know, we, we do take 6% common in addition to our investment. Um, and that is, you know, so, so part of the accelerator model is we invest very, very early, but we want to be it's not quite a studio where we're taking 20 to 30%. It's also not a venture fund where it's a straight investment for 10 or 20%. And we take a board on your, a seat on your board. And, you know, we, we try to create a lot of alignment. We want to be thought of as kind of a small co-founding partner of the business. And if you have a sort of small co-founder on your cap table for 6% common, we dilute over time with you. We sit in common with you, which a lot of founders don't realize is very important distinction because, you know, we sit behind preferred, like we only make money when the founders make money on the common shares and, um, you know, we're really aligned with them and that enables us to be, um, a real champion for the founders and really supportive of the founders and, you know, fully lined in a way that sometimes VCs and founders can get 
mixed up, especially as the as the business grows. And I've I've been there as well personally. So um, so that's an important part. But you know, the, the program itself, we spend three months generally together. Some of the programs now are fully virtual or hybrid in person versus virtual. But there's a huge in in person component. Bring all the founders together from around the world working out the same office together. And we go through everything with them from like their elevator pitch to their blurb, to their investor spreadsheets, all their marketing materials, fundraising materials, their pitch decks themselves. We do a demo day at the end. So we help them craft and deliver a, a really compelling story and pitch in five minutes. Um, and then, you know, we get, once they're really ready to fundraise, I'm just speaking the fundraising part, we then make intros to over hundred VC funds for them when they're ready to go. Um, and that's often a really hard thing for founders just to get access to VCs and to be well prepared and to know how to deliver a strong pitch, just to have a shot at raising additional capital. Um, and then a lot of stuff beyond that on hiring, on uh, business development strategy, and so on. But but just about the fundraising sort of component of how that works, which is a big part of it. Um, we, I I do and my team does. We spend a lot of time on that. So a huge amount to unpick around there, and especially with the journey that the companies go through before they join through the application process, once they've joined, and then kind of what point you guys want to get them to by the end of that accelerator, yeah. right? So let's start at the beginning. How do you attract companies to begin with? Because you say, you know, you've got multiple programs, you've got multiple cities, you've got multiple different um, uh, categories or industries within which you work. How do you even start to get companies to apply to join the different programs? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first, uh, you know, Crunchbase just came out and, you know, said we're the most um, active pre-seed uh, investor uh, and venture capital investor in the world. So we do, we do like, I think it was like 600 companies last year that went through Techstars. So, uh, which is the most. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. And, and around and around the world. And so that, that scale can give us some nice advantages as well. And, you know, um, there's a bunch of other managing directors like me that we can work closely together. So, um we, you know, so I think just based on our volume and how long we've been around and the reputation, VC firms know it, founders know it, angel investors know it. You know, it's a, it's a very known kind of thing in the community. And so what we're really good at doing is taking companies from pre-seed to seed. Um, it's it's about split between first-time CEOs and second-time CEOs. You know, we'll, we'll look at companies, just to give you kind of a sense of the stage they're at. Dang. It could just be two people and a dog um, if the two people are super impressive. Um, like, you know, they've raised a bunch of venture capital before, or they've had a successful outcome before, and they're getting the band back together and they're kicking it off. You know, we'll certainly look at that. Um, but mostly the companies have already raised, say, 250K to a million or a million and a half in ca venture capital before, and or angels and friends and family, whatever, before the accelerator. They're doing, they've got a product in market, and they've got anywhere from six figures in revenue to low seven-figure revenue. And I always get questions from founders, like, what's the formula? Like, where does my ARR need to be? Or like, how many partnerships do I need to have? Or, you know, there's no formula. Uh, it's just, we're looking for great people, great teams, which is easier said than um, diagnosed. But, you know, at a minimum, people who have done something before are super impressive, intelligent, you know, humble. They balance each other well. So at a minimum, you have someone who can sell. It's generally a CEO. You have someone who can build. It's generally a CTO. Maybe you have someone in product or marketing and so on, or some other, you know, great lead engineer or mobile devs on the team. But you want to see a well-balanced team. You want to see three MBAs and none of them can build anything. Uh, and you don't want to see all engineers and they just nerd out on the product, but they never sell anything. So you want to see a, a balanced team and we want to accelerate the business, right? So we want to throw fuel on the fire, not start the fire. So 
we don't want to spend the whole program like, okay, great. Like we need to recruit an engineer and it takes us two or three months. And then we kind of wasted our time together. We want the company to be ready to go. So it's usually a team, a product that's a market, a little bit of traction. You know, there's some, there's some smoke there and we can, uh, we can really get it going. Uh, but again, we'll go even earlier than that if we're just blown away by the founders. Uh, so that's, that's just kind of give you a sense of where they're at. And they, they so the generally valuations, they're coming in at like three to 10 million valuations. Mm-hmm. And we help them raise money going into the program on the news that they got in and with our relationships. And then we help them raise money in the program, usually at a slightly higher valuation. And then we help them raise money coming out of the program at say six to 15 million valuation. And then three to nine months later, we help them go out for theirs, generally three to $5 million kind of like seed round at hopefully another step up in valuation. Um, and so fundraising is a huge part, like at least with our programs, companies need capital, capital's oxygen. And, um, we, we have some companies that choose to bootstrap and we're totally fine with that. If they can, it's great. It often works out way better for the founders in the long run, but most of the companies that come through, you know, it's tech or tech enabled the businesses, they need money to hire engineers and build product and they want to burn and grow and, um, they need help fundraising and, and you know, we're good at doing that. So talk a little bit about what you just talked about there, that a lot of the companies or most of the companies are within tech and, uh, and tech enabled. And obviously the, the title of the, um, uh, of the accelerator is, uh, tech stars. So it's kind of the, 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 the clue yeah. is in the, uh, in the title. Um, yeah. how walk us through the decision process of admitting a company and kind of, um, how much tech needs to be in there? How does the decision committee work? Um, have there been any fights, you know, I'm sure that there's, uh, there's often disagreements about whether to let somebody in or, you know, this person should be in, should they, be, I'm fascinated yeah. about that side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, a lot, to, a lot to unpack there. Fun to talk about. And, you know, I don't know that we have the formula for perfectly right, you know, going into our fifth year doing it, we're, you know, still evolving and I'm trying to learn. And, you know, a lot of the managing directors at Techstars are trading notes about it. And it's an evolving thing. I certainly learned from a lot of people who were here before I started and, and, and do I tried to do, sorry, for, do people ever do multiple ones, sort of go into one and then go into another for a different it, stage? Uh, it's, it's rare. We have a few that are doing it. Um, you know, I was doing, going to our fifth year doing the sports one and then uh, jenny fielding who's running new york city for for a long time as amazing investor you know she left to grow her fund um and so uh the, you know I'm, I'm based in new york most of the year and so they kind of asked if i wanted to do that as well but it's um yeah. you know mo- most managing directors just do one program and that program traditionally has been once per year and now uh, we're, we're we're trying to push to see if managing directors can do two programs per year and you know hire a couple extra people on the team to help support yeah. uh the extra workload and an extra amount of companies. Um, so, you know, that's helped tech stars to expand where it used to be manager director would do one program a year, 10 companies. And now, uh, you know, some manager directors are still doing one and some are doing two. Uh, and we're even testing to see if manager could do like three programs. I, I'm afraid of that. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to end up doing like a hundred companies a year. It will become something different, but right that's now, you know, a lot I, of investor conversations, right? It's that's a lot, a lot of yeah, picking yeah. up the fan. Well, I did 10 my first year, 10 the second year, 11 the third year, and the last year I did 27. <laughs> uh, and, you know, this year I think it'll be 25. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it'll well, hopefully, I think, keep it constant. I think 25 is about where I, where I tap out. But, um, uh, yeah, so, so like, I guess I'll, so the, recru- this is the recruiting part, you know, we, a lot of companies just apply. Uh, we don't disclose like application numbers and the acceptance rate, but it's like, it's like Harvard, Ivy league kind of acceptance rate, low single digits of the companies that apply. Yeah. 
and, you know, varying on the year and the program and so on. Um, and then, you know, I, even like most of the companies that apply, like we might take only a couple from the ones that just straight out just see us and apply. Most of how we get the companies that, you know, generally are farther along or really great founders that are a bit proven or whatever. Um, it's, uh, you know, through referrals from other founders that have gone through Techstars and like, hey, you weren't thinking about an accelerator. I know you're thinking of just raising $3 million and going, but these guys can really help you, not just on the fundraising, but otherwise, and you should really consider it. So that's my favorite kind of referral is from other founders that I've invested in or have gone through the program and can speak highly to it. Um, angel investors that maybe have been part of the pre-seed rounds and they welcome us in and they refer the companies over, even though we take 6% common, they're like, it's well worth it if you can get in and it de-risks their investment, makes the founders better. Dang. So love that. And then try to develop a lot, you know, a lot of relationships with VC funds, which we of course are sending our companies to for their seed and series A rounds. But also I, I kind of do the minor league baseball pitch where I'm like, Hey, if you've got some really talented founders that you're like, they're not, it's not quite far enough along, but you're kind of nurturing them, kick them down to the minor leagues to us and we'll spend three months. I'll get them in great shape for you, keep you close to it. And then send them back to you for the, you know, for a look at the seed. So we try to have those, you know, take those referrals seriously as well. Um, okay. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a craft business, the referral based business. Um, and, you know, it's a big consideration as far as the, the second part of your question about making decisions on which companies get in. You know, a big part of my view is, is this someone that I really like and believe in and want to be in business with for, you know, potentially decades to come. If this company doesn't work out, is this someone that Maybe they could run a different company in our portfolio or join another one of our companies or start another company someday that we back or, you know, um, you know, are they making us a lot smarter on the category? And, you know, when you play a long-term game, you can, and I, I plan to be building and investing in businesses for a long time, you know, the, the value of the relationships and the strength of the people that, and especially when you're investing so early, um, that plays a big role. And I think most VCs or the early stage investors say it's all about team, but um, you know, when you're doing a lot of deals, um, and like, like we are, um, a lot of investments, um, and at such an early stage, like the strength of the people matters so much because these companies pivot, you know, we've, we've had companies that have gone through and end up starting second companies and going through tech stars again and, you know, stuff like that. So that, that's a really important part of it. We will do a series with, on my team. We also have uh, Andrew Hippert, who's our principal, and then Elliot Max, our investment associates. It's a three-person team doing 25 companies a year. Uh, Elliot is in charge of sourcing, so he's on all the initial screening and calls um, to try to work to get down to more of a short list. Uh, he's involved in the programs, too, and we're spinning them up, but his like core function is on sourcing. Andrew's core thing is he's like running the, all the operations and logistics across both programs. We have 300 mentors. We have 500 plus VC firms that we're in touch with and all the founders and alumni and so on. But he also has helping on sourcing and decision-making on the companies. My goal, my aspiration, Yanni, is to do nothing. <laughs> I, I, that's what I really am striving for. A, no, whole a noble goal, if ever there was one. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I do believe it. It's interesting when you're a, um, this with my founder hat on for a second, when you're it's really interesting when you're a founder of a company, I, I tell our founders this um, kind of in the first week of the program, it's like, it's such a different mindset. You know, you start off as the CEO and you own 100% of the company and your goal is to end up owning as much as the company you can, but not being CEO ultimately and not doing anything. You know, it, it's the reverse of an employee 
Yeah. Who's trying to get, yeah, they come into the entry level with no ownership yeah. and trying to work their way up to being CEO. And, you know, as the founder, you're trying to do the reverse, you know? Yeah. And go, go the other way so you can do another company. You know, ideally, if you're really an entrepreneur and you tend to get kind of bored with the logistics and details and stuff over time. Um, so, anyway, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying and failing at doing that with my uh, two accelerator programs here. But, you know, I spend, try to spend most of my time with the founders, um, especially in trying to figure out when there's like inflection point moments when after they graduate the program where I can add value. It tends to be around fundraising, uh, business yeah. development, any stuff, hiring, uh, founders freaking out at night about whatever it is. I want to be the person that they text. Um, founders always <laughs> freak out in the middle of the night. It's, yeah. it's just a thing, right? So yeah. on, on that, have you have you ever have you ever seen a company that was kind of coming out, or a few years later, where you're like, oh, maybe I could get into it again if, like, you know, leave the investing world and and jump back on board and be more oh, uh, yeah. more of an operator again because you've done it, yeah. you know? Yeah, totally, totally tempting. See all these really exciting ideas that come through, um, and I'm tempted all the time. Um, so so far, I've yeah, how do you battle I, that? <laughs> I've been able to hold off on the urge, but uh, yeah, I'm totally tempted to start another company. Um, I'm also like, I know what goes in, having done it twice. Like I was like eight years where I didn't sleep and uh, yeah. I, we were always six to nine months from dying for eight years. Um, and so I know the stress of it. I, I think that also can help me be a better investor and a, a mentor to the founders. I, cause I, I've been in their shoes, gone through it. Um, and a big part of what we do is try to help relieve the stress make things a little easier on them um, yeah. and, you know, provide big picture and encouragement and, you know, sometimes it's straight cheerleading and, and motivation. And sometimes it's just trying to like ease their load a little bit with intros or a little bit of a quick directional advice, um, big picture stuff. So, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally tempted. And, uh, 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 but I, I've been able to hold out now going a little over four years. So we'll, we'll see. I hear you. Those two, those two goals are not aligned, are they? The goal of doing nothing and then the goal of setting up another company. Yeah. They're pretty much in constant, in, in direct right. conflict, aren't they? So speaking well, about the graduation, speaking about kind of the, the, the people who come out of the um, the program, what, what's your view? What is the goal? Is it, because it, I assume it's not a template, right? You know, obviously, there are certain things that need to be in place. A good investor tech, a good elevator pitch, you know, clear understanding yeah. of the financials. But what is what is your goal as the managing director of um, of the uh, sports accelerator and the New York City accelerator to um, get the companies to at the end of their uh, three month program? Yeah, so we, we we start off kind of in the, as we go through the process, first call, second call, we cut it to a list of just to go process about 45 companies, then we get it to 25 with our screening committee, and we basically cut it in half again. And we make offers and. As we're going through that um, funnel, um, when we get to the kind of the screening committee stage and then the deep dives and diligence stuff afterwards, we, we really want to understand um, what the founders think that they need and what we can actually deliver on the program and be very clear about what we can't deliver. So we want to make sure it's, it's a mutual um, win and we want the companies to be successful. We also want them to have a great experience. So they tell other great founders to, to do it. And so if we think we can't help the company with what they need, um, or if we disagree with, you know, we feel like they're, you know, we disagree with what they think they need, uh, then we'll often not, you know, not make the investment. Um, and, you know, generally where we can't help them is on the very technical side, just because we don't have the bandwidth. And if we have to figure out 
engineering, product, UI, UX messes, then the company's kind of in a tough position anyway. You know, again, it goes back to really betting on the team. And so the if they well, haven't built the, it. You don't you want the investor at the accelerator coming in to, to sort those things out because then as soon as they leave you, how are they going to actually be able to deliver against what their promise is, right? That's... Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm a kind of a big believer. Like I love I love Buffett and uh, Berkshire. I know we're, you know, kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're at the very early stage and sort of investing in dreams and there's, you know, not cash flowing businesses, but a lot of the, his principles and Munger's principles I, I ascribe to and, you know, they're really big on like not trying to mess with their companies. Like if they don't want to get in bed with a company that needs to be solved and fixed. And I think it's a natural temptation for investors to be like, want to be super, super involved and like tell the CEOs what to do and value add and our experience. And I try to like make really like church and state like lines around, um, this is your company. You will make decisions. Uh, I'm not going to like, you know, helicopter in and be like, you should do this instead of that. Um, if I think it's a situation where I need to do that, I just won't don't invest because um, that won't be fun for you. It won't be fun for me and it probably won't end up well. So the, most of the stuff is around fundraising, networking, uh, general startup advice and resources. You know, we give them perks and discounts, 100K from AWS and just a million things like that. Um, and just quick advice on, you know, because we've done so many and so many deals and we have the scale and it doesn't need to all come from us. I can be like, oh yeah, you have a branding thing. You should totally talk to this founder who's built this incredible brand and like what they have to say is so much smarter than what I have to say, but I can make that intro, have that conversation happen a day or two days later. And like, that's a big unlock and that maybe saves the founders a lot of time and work. And so we try to be clear. like, we're really good on fundraising. We're really good on networking. We're pretty good on business development stuff, but you still have to get the stuff done, but we can open doors. But everything else, like you, you, we're kind of relying on you. It's your business. <laughs> like, you know, we'll be like, you, you know, like come to us with your questions. We'll generally point you to somebody else who can give a better new one thing on a product or marketing or pricing or whatever. But, um, yeah, so, so we try to be clear on that. Um, you know, I've been there as a founder and they're always super optimistic, like how much they can get done, how little capital it's going to need and how big of a company they're going to build in such a short amount of time. And I've been on that side of selling and, you know, it's not lies. It's, it's, you're confident and you're also stretching and you're being optimistic and that's what this industry moves on. But, um, we try to get them like, Hey, it's going to take generally twice as long or three times as long. And you're going to need two or three times that amount of money. And, you know, we try to be kind of, uh, help them think through burn and, having at least three scenarios down, you know, a base, uh, like modest and like an upside scenario and being prepared for any, when they go in to raise money, having multiple paths, if the round's successful, if it's not, and you need to do a bridge round, what that looks like. Just think through a lot of that scenario planning and, um, make, you know, with, with the idea of like, how do we make sure that we survive and get through and get to the next kind of inflection point and preserve options. And a lot of that kind of stepping back and thinking, um, stuff in the for founders going through their first first time or even sometimes their second time, um, that can be a really helpful thing for us to do, and, and we're good at doing that. So, but yeah, um, it's uh, it, it's a it's a networking, fundraising, coaching, and that, that's why I really love it. Like you you um, you get to be a true advisor and mentor to these companies and help them a lot without sitting on their board and telling them what to do and scaring them all the time. Uh, <laughs> 
So, yeah. Are, are there any companies that are kind of, I mean, too late, you know, Apple's probably too late, but, you know, are, are there any companies that are uh, kind of past a certain KPI or achievement or revenue threshold or something like that, where you're just like, look, doesn't make sense, you know, much as we could potentially add some marketing value or some storytelling value, like you guys are just yeah. not not at a not at a size that it makes sense for us to jump on board. I mean, that might have to do with the cap table. There's all sorts of different parameters, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's hard to give a generalized answer. Um, for instance, like uh, we have a number of companies out of like UK, uh, Ireland, you know, Europe, Israel that um, they might be more mature as far as like traction, revenue and stuff going through, but they still want to go through because we're their partner to help bring them to the US, uh, open an office here, hire here, raise money here, access the US market. Um, and so some of those companies that maybe would be a little bit beyond accelerator stage, uh, it kind of makes sense from, from that perspective. But usually if a company is raised, at least it starts getting nervous, maybe around a million and a half in venture capital um, pre-program, especially if they burned a lot of it and they're kind of running out of fumes. You know, we, we don't want to be the option that's like, they raised pre-seed, they tried to get the seed, failed. Okay, last last ditch effort, let's go through an accelerator. Try to avoid that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, these comes coming in like, wow, we raised two million bucks or three million bucks at a 12 million valuation. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of not, not great. We've kind of wasted a lot of money and the cap table could be a little messy. We kind of almost prefer usually a, a clean start, even if it's much earlier. And then, you know, companies that just have a lot of traction in their market and they're, you know, profitable and they're humming along. The conversation I usually have with them is, hey, do you really want to raise venture? You know, venture is usually a bad thing for, for most companies. It's, it's, a, it's a drug um, that only you're really good for super high growth, you know, need to win the market and kind of companies, the high speed train and there's few stops along the way. And you have all sorts of issues misaligned with VCs and prep stacks and um, dilution and just there's all this like negative stuff that comes with raising money. So you want to make make sure that you really want it. And so if I think companies like yeah they shouldn't raise money, then maybe it, like our program is really about fundraising. So yeah, maybe you don't go through it. Uh, again, some choose not to, and they still want the strategic, the networking. The, you know, maybe they're selling to sports teams, for instance, for the sports program, and we're a cheap additional resource for them on BD and general advice and mentoring and stuff, and they're willing to give up a little bit of dilution for that. Mm. Um, great uh but yeah so we really want to align like how much money do we really need to raise to build what kind of business which will create what kind of expected outcome and is that a huge win for the founder and you know do you need venture or not and how much venture do you need and we try to have all that kind of conversation before the program to make sure that we're generally aligned on strategy before we get involved with them and and that you know we think we can deliver it's so on the sports side specifically and sort of the developments that are happening within technology and the kinds of companies that you're seeing coming through in that area. What is it that excites you? Kind of where do you see the next big opportunity or opportunity? Yeah, sure, sure. I, you know, I, I try to approach it um, both ways where one is, you know, we're, I want, I don't want to have like a list, like a, the I'm not a thesis driven, like investor we're doing so many deals and i think that's generally not a great way to be anyway there's some great venture capital firms that are thesis driven and and have had a lot of success with that you know union square ventures comes to mind fred wilson um uh founder collective is an investor my first company coach up there proudly not thesis driven in their category agnostic and they want the insight to come from founders i've seen both models work and i kind of feel like it's um at least through my approach with the two accelerators is we can we can do both 
because um, we're because we have the volume of deals we're able to do that allows for it. So I do believe founders that have unique insight, that's what I'm looking for. They bring the passion about the idea and they have hopefully a unique advantage because they're well networked in the space or they've been in the space. And a lot of our investments fit into that bucket. And it's something I've never thought of before. And so I go in very open-minded. I want to learn. It's a super fun part of the job. I want to learn about, you know, we just, we invest in a horse racing uh, syndicate business. You know, I knew nothing about horse racing, but I knew about syndicates and other things. And here's this person who was like, knew a lot about horse racing out of Ireland and it's like a big thing. And, you know, but he wasn't so up to speed on syndicates and we thought we could add value and like, whatever. So I, I love niche businesses because they tend to be less competitive. You know, Uber started with black cars, Amazon started with, you know, books, eBay started with Pez dispensers. It's still niche early on. And weird Airbnb renting, you know, side rooms and uh, in your house. I like niche stuff with a with a founder insight. But we also just like we have some overall categories we're excited about that we have good relationships in, and you know, try to figure out some opportunities around that. And you know, if we see companies that are doing something similar, we're you know, we we go in kind of a little more prepared for those conversations because we looked at the space. Um, so I guess it's I don't know if I'm fully answering your question, but I guess kind of both. I'm being vague by not giving specific examples. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was about uh, to ask you about that. <laughs> this is a very, very uh, VC of me not to actually uh, give you a clear answer. Um, categories. We were big on at-home fitness, which served us well through COVID. We did, you know, uh, Ergata, which went on to raise $30 million, like a year and a half out of the program, just like for, you know, rowing gamified fitness. Um, we were, you know, so we sort of, as an example, went deep on that space and I was kind of looking at, okay, what are all the at-home fitness categories as we were kind of going into the pandemic and then through the pandemic, uh, we didn't know there was going to be a pandemic in 2019 when we started doing it. We just liked the space and the pandemic amplified it and we were like pounding it. And we, you know, I'm an investor and advisor in Fight Camp, which is the leader in at-home boxing, you know, raised over hundred million dollars. So we did the boxing one, we did a rowing game fight fitness one, we did Flexia, which has raised like $3 million, which is the leader in like, I don't know, Pilates that went through the accelerator. We did fit FIT exclamation point, which is another like at-home fitness and content business. So we, we've looked at that. Um, and so when we find something, we start to develop some expertise around it. We look for other things. We've had a lot of sort of, so other like thesis driven, by the way, like at-home fitness is, is struggling a bit now. It's certainly like yeah. the acquisition costs are up and shipping costs are up and people are going back to gyms and yeah, it's it's a harder for for sure a harder space than it was. There's been other kind of thesis driven stuff. Like I I really like Top Golf. I think it's a super smart business. Um, and I've been racking my mind trying to find like would Top Golf for fishing work where you have like a pond and we fish in it and people sit around and and have like oh god that could be actually really like messy and smelly and you it's know, almost guaranteed to work need. though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that for boxing, that for skiing, like that for, you know, like whatever. Like, so you take something that's working and would that work? Yeah. You know, as an example, syndicates, we've gotten really like there's master, and this is for the New York City one, but there's masterworks for art and there's angelists for startups. And, you know, it's like, oh, geez, when we came around horse racing, it has some unique things that made that interesting. And could this kind of, could X work for Y kind of thing? So there's a lot of thinking like that that we try to do. By the way, we haven't invested in any top golf for X companies, but uh, and I'm not <laughs> actually the golf solution super unique for some specific reasons about actual swinging. You don't have to motion, and you don't have to move, and you don't have to sweat, and uh, it's it, there's whatever. So a lot of our 
And you don't have fit, live fish involved. Yeah, live fish involved. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, there, yeah, there's, you know, like, uh, there's, anyway, but it's, it's fun to nerd out on, on, you know, why certain things work and could, could parallel things work. Um, some of the stuff that we're biased on based on what has gone well before, we've done two ticketing companies, for instance, Project Emission and Season Share, that have gone out to both raise venture capital that went through the program. Season Share is out of LA, uh, Project Emission out of Nashville, and they're both great. Um, and we've looked at a ton of ticketing companies and we're like two for two on ticketing companies and um, also investor in game time, which is a successful ticketing company, uh -huh. but through founders first. And I haven't found another ticketing deal to do. So like, and we see a yeah. lot, you know, with, with draft.com and which we sold to Patty Power Bedfair and then we bought FanDuel and we merged business together. So we see a lot of, I personally get a lot of outreach on fantasy sports, sports betting, sports media and related categories. And because I've been in the space, I know how hard it is. And um, maybe that makes me overly jaded to like not want, we've done a few things, but I, we say no to so much more. Um, and I have more of an open mind maybe about categories I don't know as much about. And so that's and part of my bias, right? And I need to understand is that, you know, a helpful thing or not a helpful thing. And it's also incredible seeing kind of the, the, the creativity out there, right? Yeah. How, you know, sometimes the solution that's being proposed to a problem is, is incredibly niche and, you know, like you say, it may not actually, it may be too difficult to deliver, but then sometimes you're like, oh gosh, I've never thought of that, right? And you're you're yeah. in a unique position to see, I think, both sides of the industry, right? So you're seeing the startups coming up, you're seeing these ideas start to formulate and sort of kind of grow, but you're also seeing the, the 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 seed round and Series A and stuff like that as you start to to throw these companies into the into the wider VC world. And so, yeah, how are you seeing the general macroeconomic sort of um situation play play out are you seeing fewer people now starting to go i know i've got an idea i'm going to chase this into a startup um, yeah. especially as valuations start to solidify you know as as capital you know liquidity is not in the market capital is being slower to be deployed yeah. so just generally in terms of the the whole outlook how is it now and in the last i guess six to nine months compared to what it was as you say you know pre-pandemic and into the pandemic where it just seemed like it was yeah exploding. yeah for companies raising seed and a rounds right now in the market it's much harder than it was over the last two years when interest rates were so low and venture was free-flowing and syndicates on angelus were free-flowing and angels were throwing and there wasn't so great such a great alternative to for people to put their money in um but that was like historically the best time maybe ever to raise the last couple of years. And so we've come down to, I think we needed to come down and like, I think this is a relatively healthy correction. And there's a lot of excess and I am concerned about um, outcomes for companies that raised at two high valuations over the last two years and had high burn rates. And it's gonna be very hard for them. We haven't even really started to see, we're gonna see a lot more down rounds, recaps, failures. Uh, you know, generally the private markets is much slower to adjust than public markets and downstream and venture is slower to adjust because, uh, you know, VCs want to keep their artificial valuations higher as long as they can. They're willing right. to put liquidation preferences and um, stuff like on uh, convertible notes and safes to try to keep the company going without doing a down price round. So I think we're going to see more fallout, but it's also a really great time to start a company. Um, because you know, Meta's laying off people. It's easier to get technical talent. Um, you can be remote. You don't have to spend the same on offices. You know, outsourcing stuff 
to the Philippines or Latin America or Eastern Europe or whatever has only gotten easier, so you don't have the overhead expenses as much. Obviously, advanced AI, which is a super hot space and is going to disrupt a lot of industries. We have a couple of portfolio companies there and, and others that are obviously going to be using it in different forms. Some maybe it will be moderately impactful, some, some majorly. That's a super hot space right now. Start a company leveraging ChatGPT4. Um, we've seen a few that like Caesar just throwing stupid forms at them. Uh, by the way, we see, it's so funny seeing this over the last, I've been 2012. It was 2012. I started investing in 2012. So 11 years and the hot, like mobile marketplaces, you know, blockchain. Now it's, you know, large language models and advanced AI. Um, it's just like whenever these sort of sea ships happen and a lot of investors, you know, and it's part of the motivation of VC funds. They want to maximize fees. They want to raise large funds. They want to be at the forefront of it before they've even really figured out what it is. And, uh, anyway, so, um, it's a good time to start a company. It's a good time to, I think, if you have a long, you're playing a long-term game as a founder and you actually really want to not just try to raise money, but build a real business that's profitable and sustainable and have a strong outcome and not over-raise. And, um, you know, you, it, it's a good time to start a company. It's a good time for us, the tech stars, to be investing in companies because a lot of these companies that before thought they could have raised a couple million dollars and didn't need us at a 10 million valuation and they, or they thought they're worth 20 or $30 million on an idea and piece of paper, like that has stopped. Right. And so a lot more of them are like, yeah, we actually want to like focus on strategy and how to raise a business and networking and mentorship and raise a little bit of money, but responsibly at a reasonable valuations and walk the valuations up slowly over time. That's what we're really great at. There are other funds and other, you know, accelerators that are, you know, I think a, a little bit less sort of teaching, networking, mentoring, um, valuation sensitive and founders can sometimes think that that's a big win early on. They can get a high, really high valuation, but actually it usually doesn't serve them in the long run and it leads to complications. It's a good time going in. It's a good time to start a company. It's a hard time in the market for companies that are, are out there already, but some health behavior will come from it for sure. And so one question, you know, we, we've often asked and, and I've decided to change this on its head because this is, um, the businesses that, that that we're all in are so heavily focused on founders and sort of, you know, the founder, uh, founder story and the founder myth as well. I'm not going to ask you what you look for in founders. Cause that's like, you know, what do you look for in a piece of bread, right? Like you get to very day to day and all the rest of it. But mm -hmm. what are some of the absolute no, no's for founders? Like, have you ever gone in and just been like, oh, hell no. <laughs> if, uh, you know, it's, it's someone that it's a long-term relationship and we're letting them into our tent. Like they're going to, they're going to impact the other founders that go through the accelerator. They're going to, they're going to become alumni and they're going to impact future founders. We're going to be, you know, a big part of what we do is we connect them with investors. We're going to be putting them in front of our trusted relationships. You know, I, I have them in my, like I have a house in Indianapolis and I, Founders are in there all the time. Sometimes they pass out on the couch. I don't know if I should mention that, you know, like that we have. Please, please do. Feel free. Like, Tell us the story. Yeah. <laughs> like we give them, you know, bicycles and they like hang out with my dog. And like, you know, it's, we're super, we invite them into our family. And that's how I kind of view it as a long-term relationship. So we want people that are going to be energy amplifiers that are going to for everyone else that are going to you know help everyone else learn and grow that are going to be sort of give first kind of people um so first and foremost that they're not going to mess up with the kind of culture experience that everyone else has and so 
good people, you know, honest, uh, kind, uh, you know, high energy, intelligent, curious, thoughtful, like all that stuff that you would want in a friend or a partner. You look for that. I look for how they, how they treat each other and how they interact together. Like, do they defer to each other? Are they cutting each other off? Do they have oh, clear... between between the founders of a of a company? Yeah, okay. Uh, so, like, before we invest, we we make sure we get to know all the co-founders and we have them together and call and can we suss out if they're sort of like clear on the vision? If they like disagree, can they disagree and commit? Are they in this for the long run? Co-founder breakups is like the number one thing that kills companies. So we want to make sure that. Uh, you know, that that doesn't happen, especially if someone doesn't walk away with a big chunk of the business. And, you know, companies often die early on just because one person leaves, right? And this is a phenomenon you don't have when you're investing in public companies or later stage companies. Uh, you know, whatever, someone leaves, like you replace them, you know. And, um, but early on, it can just kill the business. Um, so, so we look closely at that. And I need to feel like I'm learning when I talk to them um, that they that they really know about certain things and that they, they kind of know areas where they need help and what they don't know. But the stuff that they do know, that they've really thought about it, they're really researched, they know the other companies in the space, they know the industry well, they know where they're strong, they know where they need help. That That's like the first step for being able to help a company. And um, I don't want them to be like, yeah, yeah, we got it all figured out and we know everything. And I don't want them all to be like, we don't know anything. Like, tell us everything. We'll change the business tomorrow, whatever you say. I want them to like have conviction in the things that they have conviction in and be like open-minded and beginner's mind on stuff that they clearly don't know. So Man. try to suss that stuff out, but it's hard. You know, it's, you have a couple interactions, a couple calls, a couple emails, a couple reference checks, and you try to make a decision uh, that could be a seven to 12 year decision on a company. And, um, so it's, it's a hard thing to do and it's not an exact science. Well, I hope all the prospective founders out there have been taking notes on this one, uh, cause it's been really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I will, I will take, they haven't paid us for this, but, uh, Jordan has been drinking a lemon perfect while we've been speaking and talking about inspirational founders, Yanni Huffnagel, my guy who founded lemon perfect is a brilliant dude. So go out there and get some. Shout out to Yanni. Uh, by the way, Yanni, great name. There you go. Uh, great name. I think I was the first investor in this. I have to ask oh, Yanni, really? but I remember, yeah, he had a, um, we were in LA at a coffee shop and he was a basketball coach. That's right. And I played basketball, I was just basketball stuff. And then uh, he's like, yeah, I'm starting a lemon water company. And my, my buddy, Jeremy, we do the uh, investing together with founders first. We did draft.com together and whatever. Uh, he loves lemon water. Like he's obsessed. Like he, wherever we go, we get an Airbnb and he'll like have lemons delivered there and he cuts them every day and he squeezes them. I like it, but I'm not obsessed like him. And uh, it's like lemon water, you know? And he's like, this is brilliant. And Yanni had a jug in his trunk of his car in LA, which he was keeping. Like he literally had, I, it was like a uh, straight, like thousand, you know, whatever that thing is, like Poland Springs jug of right. the plastic jug of yeah water but he had filled it I whatever the hell one, was yeah. in it <laughs> yeah and the truck's like hey man like you got to try the product i was like i don't know if i want your random <laughs> thing that's yellow in a no labeled you know thing out of the trunk of your car we just met but uh i just his energy man talk talk about sort of founder stuff oh yeah yanni's energy is contagious um this makes the world a better place it's better than drinking sugar stuff uh -huh. it's better than drinking gatorade obviously better than drinking pepsi and stuff and it's five calories 
it's water, it's lemon. Uh-huh. Uh, the world would be a better place if everyone does this instead of soda. And, uh, and it makes sense. Not everyone wants to bring lemons around and cut them up and squeeze them. Exactly. And, uh, it's not earth science, but if you like, it's not, what did I say? Earth science? It's not <laughs> rocket science. But, <laughs> hey, earth science is pretty damn complicated as well. <laughs> oh man. Um, I clearly need coffee in addition to lemon water right now, but, uh, it's not rocket science, but the, the passion, man, it, I, the, by the way, this is something we look for and I don't want to keep you too long here. I can wrap on this, but no, no, go, go, uh, with founders looking at what they've done before. It seems it's non-obvious, but Yanni who had been a, uh, basketball coach, assistant college coach at Harvard at Vanderbilt. Um, Oklahoma he, with Blake Griffin. He was Blake's guy. Yeah, like that's such a hard, like you've got to go to 16 year old kids who are on top of the world being recruited by everywhere. And you have to tell them why your school is the right school and why and blah, blah, blah. But you can't over promise that they're going to start or play right. like the grind. You're traveling around in your car, you're going to camps, you're going to AAU, you're, you're hustling with AAU coaches hustle. Like that's a straight hustle job. And, and he had a reputation of being an amazing recruiter and amazing. So I thought he could be able to recruit a team. By the way, it pays shit too. So he was going to be, if he had to pay himself 20K a year for the next five years to get mm-hmm. this lemon water business off the ground, yeah, he's going to do it. A lot of times founders are like, eh, no, I'm out. I'm going to go back and take a six-figure job at you know some big tech company. He was all in. He was going to make this thing successful. He was leaving his coaching career, which he had put his whole world into, to go do this. So the passion, the hustle, the grind, the, not the, the energy that he had, the belief in the products, and the simplicity of it. And, you know, in retrospect, looking back, like he had no beverage experience. He had no founder experience. He had no fundraising experience. He had, uh, you know, a weird thing in the trunk of his car. Him and Jay-Z, him and Jay-Z at the trunk of the car. Trunk of the car. I I committed on the spot. Yanni, we're in. We're in. So uh, anyway, maybe that helps shed some light on kind of what we look for. But, um, and he's been, great and over delivered run through every wall and hit a ton of obstacles and changed really what he's doing it i had a conversation with him recently he's like why the hell did you invest in me when you you know uh, like what what's wrong with you like it's worked out but what was that was the wrong decision <laughs> but uh no it's you know it's someone that i want to be in business with for you know the long run and yeah. uh and and to watch him grow and like and i love the product and so anyway we if we can replicate that, as crazy as it seems, yeah, we, we try to do it. Well, it all it all starts with the right name. So shout out to Yanni. Listen, this yeah. has been, <laughs> there you go. This has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, thank you for taking the time to our listeners. Again, if you like what you heard, make sure that you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure that you go to our newsletter, which you can find at sportsloft.co, our website, and follow us on social at sportsloft.hq. All that remains for me is to say a huge thank you to Jordan Flegel for joining us for the first time in the Sportsloft podcast. Jordan, thanks for coming on board. Yanni, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And to everybody listening, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time in the Sportsloft. Goodbye. Goodbye.